Welcome to the Portugal 2018 FIFA World Cup podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall and I'm joined by the godfather of Portugal, Tom Cundit. Tom, how's things? All good. All good here, Matt. Uh, everyone's getting very excited ahead of the big kickoff. I'm sure they are. Everyone's looking forward to it. Joining Tom and I is Marino Peixoto, who is just addicted to Portuguese footballers. Tom and I. Marino, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Yeah, looking forward to the World Cup, of course, just like everyone else. Yep, we're only a few days away now with Russia taking on Saudi Arabia in the first match. Let's start off with the squad, gentlemen. And if we go back just a couple of years to Portugal's European success, we've got 10 players that are no longer there. Eduardo, Ricardo, Calvalho, uh, Vierinha, Eliseo, Danilo Pereira, Andre Gomes, Renato Sanchez, remember him? Rafa Silva, Nani and Eder. We've got a few players uh, that are coming into the squad for the World Cup, including Ruben Diaz, Mario Rui, Ricardo Pereira, Bruno Fernandes, Manuel Fernandes, Gelson Martins, Gonzalo Guedes, and Andre Silva. Tom, give us a quick thoughts about the newcomers and any players that you think might have been unlucky to miss out on a ticket to Russia. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because European champions, you would have thought Portugal's first ever major trophy. Uh, it's, that's a lot of the squad who haven't, just two years down the line, aren't going to Russia, you know, like you say, 10 players. I think it's a reflection, really, of Fernando Santos's policy uh, since he's become Portugal manager. I think in, of course, stark contrast to his predecessor, Paulo Bento, he's been, I think, very fair-minded, uh, willing to give pretty much everybody a chance and then going with the players who he feels will you know, give Portugal the best chance of doing well in the tournament. So I don't think you can really argue. I suppose there's a couple of names which a lot of people have mentioned were perhaps a little bit unlucky to miss out, which is that Ronnie Lobs, of course, had a fantastic season at Monaco, just got voted yesterday their player of the season. Also Ruben Neves at Wolves, of course, although he's not playing in a top-tier league, uh, he was absolutely outstanding for them. And, of course, he's got Champions League football under his belt. So... Maybe a few people thought that they deserved a spot, but, you know, you can only pick 23. And uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, in Santos, we trust. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with the 23 players and three of them being goalkeepers, that's really just two players for each position. Uh, Marino, what are your thoughts for the the makeup of the Portuguese squad as we head to Russia? Um, I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. Like Tom said, I think the only players that will feel hard done by are probably Ruben Neves and Ronnie Lobsch as well. Um, But, I mean, yeah, besides that, Obviously, the 10 players that missed out, obviously, they'll feel hard done by two, but they haven't performed to the level of the national team colleagues that have made the squad this time around. So I think, as Tom said again, it's representative of the forward manner in which Portuguese football is going through right now and the, well, the golden generation that we currently possess. It's a nice blend of experience and, and youth. You know, that Some of these players might not play too much. We'll get onto them soon, but I don't have really that many complaints. Maybe Manuel Fernandes... I'm not really sure if he brings much to the team, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Let's let's go through it now from a, a position point of view and three goalkeepers in Anthony Lopez, Beto and uh, Rui Patricio. Not much doubt that Patricio is the, the number one here, Tom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think he's with the, uh, it's the least controversial position, isn't it? Uh, one or two people saying perhaps could have brought a, a younger goalkeeper in. Uh, Runa Varela at Benfica, for instance, has been mentioned. Because, uh, because let's face it, the third goalkeeper, uh, touch wood, unless something disastrous happens, uh, probably isn't going to see the pitch. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, like I say, Beto's got lots of experience. Uh, Rui Patricio, of course, has had a 
bit of a, a, a torrid end of the end to the season, as, as we all know at Sporting. So I suppose it's good to have uh, two good backups uh, just in case uh, anything goes wrong with him. But I don't think you can really argue with these three being probably the best three uh, Portuguese goalkeepers. And what about left-back Marino? We've got uh, Rafael Guerreiro, who has missed a lot of the season at Dortmund, but he's made a comeback uh, late on in the season. And we've also got Mario Rui called up to give him some competition. What are your thoughts with those two? Um, I mean, like with the other positions in the squad, I'm pretty happy with that as well. Obviously, there's a lot of fitness concerns surrounding Guerreiro, given that I think he's only played like 170 minutes since January. Um, but he's, he's shown that he's fit in the past few friendlies. Obviously, in the Tunisia game, there were concerns because he looked a bit out of sorts. He didn't look very sharp. But in the last two games, he's performed very well. Um, as for Mario Rui, there's, there's not really an alternative. Obviously, going round would have been nice, but he pulled himself out. So, I mean, yeah, he's done well for Napoli. He's, he's not got anything on Guerreiro, in my opinion. He's not as attack-minded, and I think that's one of Portugal's strong points is that left-hand side, and Guerreiro is key to that. Yeah, there's two good options there, I think, for, for Fernando Santos. Tom, let's move to the right side. Ricardo Pereira has just made quite a big money move to Leicester, and he provides some competition for Cedric. Yeah, well, Portugal really have just got an absolute, uh, you know, just an abundance of riches in general, and I think nowhere is it shown more clearly than at right-back uh, it's like uh, Marina just said a while ago, I think you, you can almost consider this a, a second golden generation for Portugal. Because if you look at the players who have been left behind, I mean, we're talking about uh, Nelson Semedo and uh, uh, João Cancelo. That's uh, a Barcelona player and, then, uh, and an Inter Milan player. You know, how many times in the past would uh, Portugal have had the luxury of being able to leave those two players at home and, and pick two better alternatives, you know, or at least at least equal alternatives. Uh, I think I have to agree again with Santos here. Maybe Cedric is out of the, the four potential uh, right-backs, uh, Joao Cancelo, Nelson Semedo, Ricardo and Cedric. It's probably, I suppose you could say, the least sexy one in terms of uh, he plays for quite an unfashionable club and he, uh, you know, perhaps his ceiling isn't as high as the other players. But you can't argue with his record. He's been Portugal's first choice right back uh, throughout the Fernando Santos era. He's played really well uh, in France. He was superb, you know, coming in for those uh, knockout matches. Uh, he played all the knockout matches and the final, of course, did a good job. He's done a good job in qualification. He's never let Portugal down. So I think you can't argue with him. Ricardo Pereira, perhaps one of the best players in Portugal all of this season. And he's been rewarded for uh, you know, a place on the team. So, again, no arguments. Well, let's move on to the centre-back position, one of the most contentious and, and worrisome, I guess, for, for Portugal. And Santos decided to go with the three experienced players in Pepe, Jose Font, uh, Bruno Alves. But he's also brought in Ruben Diaz, Tom. Uh, which leads us to our... Uh, I guess we'll, we'll start off with this question from Johnny C, who says... Who do you think will play in central defence and will Ruben Diaz get a look in? That's a question a lot of people are asking. I think before these set of friendlies, most people were saying that they were hoping for Pep and Diaz to make a, you know, to be the first choice centre-back partnership. I'm not so sure now because Jose Font, uh, he really performed very well against uh, Belgium, which, uh, as we all know, you know, very talented team, a lot of people's outsiders to go very far in this tournament, perhaps even win it. And so, uh, and he, he was really superb alongside Pep, which just brought back memories of Euro 2016 when those two formed, a, you know, an outstanding partnership. 
And uh, Bruno Alves didn't really have much to do in the final friendly. But, uh, you know, again, quite a dependable, uh, you know, a dependable performer. And I think, I think the feeling with uh, Fernando Santos is that he prefers experience at this key position. Ruben Diaz, uh, of course, one thing he brings, which the other, those other two players don't have now, is pace. Uh, a lot of pace. And on, on the flip side, he's got uh, inexperience. Let's wait and see. I think it might be quite tough for Ruben Diaz. Fernando Santos will probably count on experience. And uh, I, yeah, I do think that Diaz will probably be fourth choice. Yeah, me too. I think, you know, when you saw him in the starting lineup for the Tunisia friendly, we maybe got a little bit optimistic there. But I, I think, you know, what we've seen in the, in the recent two friendlies is that Ruben Diaz will be there for experience. Marino, what's your thoughts with the with the central defence and, and Ruben Diaz? Um, I mean, I must admit, when I saw him play in the Tunisia game, I was pretty excited by what I saw. He was very solid. He was confident. But then, obviously, as Tom was just saying, Fonts produced the kind of performance that he had in the year 2016. So it's, it's difficult to put someone who is of Diaz's age into that scenario. And obviously, Font and Pep know each other incredibly well. They formed one of, arguably one of the best partnerships Portugal ever had at centre-back to win the Euro. So, I mean, if it's not broken, why would you try and do something to, to fix it? I thought Font was pretty ordinary in the Confederations Cup. And, and when he moved to China, you maybe thought that was it for him. But, you know, Santos has shown faith, obviously, as he does in quite a few other players. And I think it'll be Font and, and Pepe to, to start off against Spain. I mean, hard to argue with the four, despite the age of, of Bruno Alves. You know, when you consider the other challenges as maybe... You know, Ruben Bezel at Valencia. Um, Paolo Oliveira got a chance recently and didn't look too convincing. Pedro Mendes, 27-year-old at Montpellier. But, you know, we'll have to see. Maybe one or two of those guys will get their chance in the coming years. Well, let's move on to midfield. Bruno Fernandes and Manuel Fernandes. What's your thoughts on the midfield selection here from Santos? Again, it's a little bit like the right-back situation. It's just an abundance of talent, isn't it? You look at those players and it's difficult not to get excited and I think we've all been trying to put our 11s together I'm sure we'll do that again a little bit later and uh, the difficulty in midfield is uh, you know how do you fit these <laughs> fantastically talented players onto the pitch at the same time uh, Bruno Fernandes you just mentioned there probably the best player in, in Portugal I'd say this season absolutely outstanding debut season and uh, of course he's had to wait his chance at, uh, for Portugal made his, I'm not sure if it was the first match he started, if it, was, if it wasn't probably only the second or so for Portugal, uh, last Thursday at the Stadio de Luz uh, uh, against Algeria. And he was just absolutely brilliant. He just like, took his club form uh, into that Portugal side, uh, scored a goal, looked really lively throughout, got a lot of people speculating whether or not he will actually force his way into the, into the first team for the first game against Spain, which is... A bit of a big ask, I think. You know, you've got players like João Barrio, again, outstanding talent. Maybe he hasn't had the best couple of seasons, but again, his look good in the friendlies. Uh, João Martinho, of course, he just uh, keeps going on and on and on. Just being so consistent for Portugal. You, you really can't argue with his contribution. And him alongside William really do seem to be a, a rock-solid platform at the base of midfield. You know, you've got lots of good alternatives like uh, Adrian Silva, uh, perhaps the player who's most needs to uh, work on his fitness and his form after his disappointing season at Leicester. And like you said, Manuel Fernandes, who by all accounts has been absolutely outstanding in Russia, 
the last few seasons, especially this season, hasn't really shown too much for Portugal yet. Bernardo Silva as well, who only plays for Manchester City. A lot of the football they play just outstanding. You look at all of these midfielders and you just think, rather Fernando Santos than me. Exactly. I mean, Danilo is, is quite a big loss. He's been important to the for the team for the last couple of years. If you had have said Renato Sanchez would be nowhere near the squad a couple of years ago, it would have been hard to believe. But Marino, there's just so many options for Santos here. So much versatility and uh, so much flexibility that, that he can use in midfield. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think the only surprise for me was, was the exclusion of Ruben Neves, given that obviously Danilo was injured, just like you said. Um, I think, obviously, William is an amazing player, but given his fitness concerns of late for sporting, it makes me worry somewhat that if anything happens to him, Portugal's game plan and tactics are going to suffer as a result quite a lot. Um, but besides that, like Tom was saying, there's an embarrassment of riches. There's so much quality. Um, I mean, personally, I think Bruno Fernandes, the way he performed against Algeria the other day, kind of warrants a starting spot against Spain. But it's difficult, as Tom said, because Joao Mario has been one of Fernando Santos's favourite players. He's almost always played in every single game. He performed very well in Euros. He works hard defensively. He carries the ball offensively very well. With Moutinho as well, Moutinho hasn't featured that heavily under Santos. It's usually been Adrian Silva. But in the last three games, Moutinho has looked incredible. Not even just defensively, but defensively, which he's not renowned for. Um, so it's, it's difficult to say, but I think right now, um, it will be William and Moutinho as the two centre-mids. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to try and predict which way Santos will go. I, I assume the, the level of opposition will, will, will influence his decisions a bit. But the way I see it is the, the absence of Ruben Neves really was, was countered by um, the fact that João Moutinho will probably drop into a deeper role now, you know, especially with Bruno Fernandes um, pushing up behind the strikers. Uh, and Adrian Silva, as we saw in that last friendly, he can also come on and play in that deeper role. So that's kind of where I think Santos is going. And as you said, Marino, he can play uh, William and Joao Moutinho there as a, as a double pivot or maybe against some of other opposition in the second or third games, he might only need William maybe play an extra attacker. But we'll have to see what happens there as they progress throughout the tournament. Tom, let's move on to the attackers here. And uh, not much surprise with uh, the likes of Quaresma. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, but we've got a few new faces here with Andre Silva, Jelson Martins, and Gonzalo Guedes, who had a sensational game in the last friendly against Algeria. What's, what's your thoughts here as we look like we're heading into a new era? You mentioned that uh, Guedes had a, a sensational game against Algeria. He certainly did. He's had a sensational season as well, which I think took a lot of people by surprise because when he left for Benfica for PSG, uh, uh, Christmas 2017, uh, you know, didn't get a look in really at PSG. And a lot of people thought, uh-oh, this looks like another Renato Sanchez, you know, a very talented player who left too early, uh, also from Benfica in this case, uh, for a big club, and just, uh, you know, isn't at that level yet. And he could just kind of, uh, you know, start slipping and sliding his career. He got this loan move to Valencia, he's taken La Liga a little bit by storm. I remember reading a lot of, Articles, one by uh, Graham Hunter, of course, and he was just saying, waxing lyrical about Gonzalo Guedes, saying he's the most exciting player he's seen for years. So that, uh, that kind of tells you the impact he made uh, in Spain. And uh, like Marino just said a while ago, that he thinks perhaps Bruno Fernandes uh, put in such a good performance against Algeria that he played himself into the eleven. 
I think I could say the same. I would say the same thing about uh, Gonzalo Guedes, because uh, if Porch, if uh, Fernando Santos goes for two attackers uh, or his four 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 two, uh, it's kind of a false four four two. But anyway, if he does go for for that formation against Spain, then I would think out of Gonzalo Guedes or Andre Silva. In my opinion, there's not really much question at the moment. Uh, I've got nothing against Andre Silva. He's been fantastic for the Selecao, had a brilliant qualifying campaign, but he's had a poor season. And I think, uh, just to put it bluntly, uh, Gonzalo Guedes has overtaken him as uh, the perhaps the perfect partner for Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, as for the other players, yep, I think you can really argue. Jelson Martins, you know, hasn't really done it for the national team. But again, he's had a fantastic season. I think he just needs... One good game, perhaps uh, scoring his first goal for Portugal, and uh, he could turn into a really important player. And then we've got our, our old friend, of course, Ricardo Quaresma, who's just uh, one thing which really surprised me, actually. I don't know if you guys knew this. Who's the player who's played the most times under Fernando Santos, the most, uh, the most appearances? It's Ricardo Quaresma. You know, more than Ronaldo, more than Patricio, more than Pep. Uh, more than João Mario, he's the one who's played the, the most number of times. So that tells you how much Santos believes in him. And of course, he's got his very special role, hasn't he, of coming on as a, a substitute when against tiring legs, uh, which I think is much more effective than than starting. And so, uh, yeah, all in all, I think that's a, a pretty a pretty exciting array of attacking talent. Uh, Marina, what's your thoughts on Gilson Martins and has Gonzalo Guedes overtaken Andre Silva? Um, yeah, I definitely think in the last two friendlies, from what we've seen, that Kiedz has, because Andres Silva is a very good focal point, and he kind of mirrors the same sort of partnership Ronaldo has with Benzema at Real Madrid. But with Gonzalo Guedes in the 11, it offers far more dynamism, and the team just, they're so fluid, the front four are so fluid. And the defences in the last two games, the opposition defences, that is, have just looked at sixes and sevens. They can't handle the movement. There's so much fluidity between them. And Andres Silva doesn't offer that as much. He's more of a target man. Um, so in that regard, yeah, I think Gedge, in my opinion, I don't know what will happen. But I think right now, yeah, he'd be the best option for the Spain game. Um, as for Jelson, a lot of people weren't happy with his inclusion. But I think on his day, he can offer something that very few players in the world can offer. Like he, his pace is electric. He can do the craziest things with the football. Um, I know a lot of people wanted uh, Ronnie Lopes, which is fair. Like, he had an amazing season at Monaco. He got voted a player of the year by the fans last night, I think. Um, scored, I think, 18 goals in the league, which was more than Mbappe, which is a crazy feat to achieve. Um, but yeah, on his day, I think Jelson, as a sub, just like what Esmer is, can create the kind of impacts that very few players can. So there are very few complaints from me in that regard. One very important and very interesting uh interview given by Gonzalo Guedes, I think it was at the end of the Belgium game, he said since he's come to the Selecao squad, you know, in the World Cup camp, he's been training up front as a striker, which of course isn't his normal position at Valencia. I think in Valencia he plays on the left of midfield or even as a genuine winger. It's amazing, isn't it? After just a, a few weeks of training, we saw that the fruits of that against Algeria, two lovely goals, he could have actually scored a hat-trick quite easily. He had three or four uh, or at least uh, another couple of very good chances. And like Mourinho said, it just gives the, the forward line a really fluid look and makes it really difficult for the opposition to, to pick them up. You know, it's not just stop Ronaldo and stop Portugal. You're looking at 
four, you know, very, very highly talented attacking players there. Exactly. And that's what I was going to mention. You know, Guedes has been really good out wide for Valencia and he's being asked to sort of revert to a more central position, which he hasn't really done in this team or with these players. I think you saw yeah. you saw that in, in the Belgium game where he is a little bit here and there. But, you know, just after one game, maybe playing with Ronaldo had something to do with it, but he was sensational. And he's definitely on the up. And unfortunately for Andre Silva, with that season he had at AC Milan, he's on the way down at the moment. And, you know, Fernando Santos has to be careful with his confidence. So, you know, you still want to make sure that Andre Silva's getting getting a look in. But at the moment, it looks like Guedes might have, uh, might have overtaken him with a bit more versatility. And certainly he's in form. And that's what you want. We saw it with Renato Sanchez a couple of years ago. You got to ride the hot hands, Tom. Just also about him playing up front. He did actually, of course, play six. It's about six months up front in the 2016-17 season for Benfica when Jonas uh, got injured, and uh, it surprised quite a few people. He actually played as a pretty much a central striker for Benfica, and he was superb. You know, he was absolutely brilliant. It's actually on the back of those performances that he got the move to PSG. So it's not a position he's completely unfamiliar with, although. Like you say, he probably has to, you know, get get back into playing that position because that's not where he's played this last season, but it's not unknown to him. All right, let's go to some questions. And uh, Christopher Ballas asks, how does this squad compare to previous tournaments? Marino, you want to start off and have a have a shot at that? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm quite young, so I didn't have the opportunity to watch this last time when they were, had one of their best squads in like 2002. I remember 2004, but I was still like nine years old, so I don't remember it as well as I know football nowadays. Um, but I've actually been saying recently that I think in terms of depth, as in quality in each position, I think this is one of the best squads, if not the best squad we've ever had. Because if you look, if you look at the midfield, bar, barring the centre-back position, so a left-back, right-back, midfield, up-top, goalkeepers, there's just talent absolutely everywhere. Um, and like we, we can look at the bench nowadays and get excited about someone coming off the bench. Whereas in the past, even two years ago, when you have the likes of like Vieira on the bench, Andre Gomes, who didn't excite anyone, now we can have the excitement of having the likes of Justin Martins, Quaresma, players like that coming off the bench. So I, I, I do truly believe that this is one of, if not the best squad that we've ever had. Just first of all, I'd like to say thank you, Mourinho, for making me feel old. <laughs> you feel <laughs> too young that. to remember those other teams. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is a great question, I think, and it's a, it's a great point made by Mourinho, and you can't really argue with it in terms of depth. I do think the 2002 uh, World Cup uh, that which was an absolute disaster, of course. Uh, I think that was Portugal, really the, the the golden generation, the first golden generation. We're really at their at their height, and uh, that was that was just an absolutely outstanding team. The, the players that Portugal had available, you know, Luis Figo, Rui Costa, uh, Paulo Sousa was still around, Vitor Bahia, uh, you had Fernando Couto, really all over the pitch. Well, Pinto at front. Uh, you know, uh, Nuno Gomes also he always did well for Portugal in tournaments so that that was a squad which was really primed especially of course after Euro 2000 where they put in such a great performance uh, and lucky just going out right at the end to France in the semis uh, so I think if you put that side against this side uh, that would be one hell of a match but uh, 
I'm not. I think maybe uh, one to eleven. I think I might still still pump for that 2002 side. And then, of course, going way back in history, none of us, unfortunately, had the the pleasure of seeing the the side. But you know, 1966 side must have been something completely uh, out of this world. Uh, Eusebio and Coluna, of course, considered some of the best players of all times in their position. Uh, and so we can't really dismiss that. But, uh, but yeah, even the fact that we're having this discussion and saying perhaps this is the best of all time, or at least in depth, you know, that can only that only really bodes well, doesn't it, for for what might happen in Russia? Yeah, it's a really interesting question and a, and a tough one to answer. I think it comes down a little bit just to personal preference and, and bias in a lot of ways. You know, I loved watching the Daco and Manish partnership and. You know, I thought Paletta was, was, was really good for Portugal up front. Figo, of course. Let's go to another question from Stephen Raposedo, who asks, do you guys think all the off-field distractions happening with Sporting and Ronaldo uh, possibly moving on has any effect on the team? I'll just give a quick answer and say probably not. Most of these Sporting players are probably happy that they're looking at the exit door and I wouldn't think Ronaldo would be too worried I'm sure he's well used to dramas uh, contractual dramas and and media drama but Tom you're a lot closer to this sporting debacle than most of us what do you think uh, if any effect it has on their players I agree with you I don't really think it would be an issue I think like you said the sporting players will probably be quite relieved uh, to be in the cellar sound, uh, you know, set up, everyone focusing on the World Cup and not really asking too many questions of them about this sporting situation. It was a big deal. And we have to remember they are humans and, uh, you know, the, it, it must be quite difficult to put it out of their mind. But I think one thing about this group of players, and I think we have to give a lot of credit to Fernando Santos for this, is uh, they just seem to be a terrific spirit among all of them. They all seem to really love being there. And, uh, you know, no kind of cliques like we've had in the past between the players from different clubs. And, uh, you know, all the players, whenever they're interviewed, they they just say, you know, we're, we're, we're all in this together. There's a great spirit. There's a great feeling of togetherness. So, yeah, I think it's probably actually the best kind of uh, therapy they can have. Uh, there's no question, though. It, it is an issue. I'll just give you one example, something which is quite interesting. As you know, during this training camp, every single day, there's a short, very brief press conference press conference, maybe three or four, five minutes uh, before the training between one of the players and they just rotate the players. And so you've had, uh, you know, I think maybe about 16, 15, 16 different players. Not one sporting player was called up. And I think that's quite significant. You know, that's to to protect them against, uh, you know, the kind of questions which would be quite difficult to answer. Yeah, interesting uh, insight there, Tom. Uh, Marino, any any concerns here with the sporting drama affecting some of their players' performances in Russia? Um, I mean, not really. I think you guys covered pretty much everything. But one thing I will add is that it's the World Cup. And this is something that footballers look forward to from when they're very young. Like, this is what people strive to play in. And it happens every four years. So I think that no matter how bad the situation was at sporting, I think they can put it aside for this because this does only happen four years. For all they know, this could be Ronaldo's last World Cup. This could be Portugal's only chance in the next God knows how many years to win the World Cup. And I think that will take precedent. I think that's far more important to them. Okay, let's just run through these uh, friendlies just quickly and see what we can take out of them. We had Portugal taking a 2-0 lead against Tunisia in Braga with Andre Silva and Juan Mario scoring a spectacular goal. We obviously mentioned before that Ruben Diaz made his debut in that match. Ricardo Pereira started also. 
Um, Tom, what did you take out of Portugal, Tunisia? Yeah, it's interesting at the end, of course, Fernando Santos wasn't happy at all. You rarely see him uh, really showing hardly any emotion. He's very stable and uh, very kind of deadpan and down to earth in all his interviews. But at the end of that game, I remember him saying, basically, you know, this has to stop. We have to get our defensive solidity back because uh, Portugal's defence had been quite, uh, had been conceding quite a few goals in that game and in the previous friendlies. And, uh, and he certainly took that message on and it seemed to, to do the trick because in, in the next two games, Portugal have looked very solid. And I think it's a question of the way the team performs, not just the, you know, the four players or the defensive unit. Because against Tunisia, I don't think it really you can blame any of the individual players for individual mistakes. It's just, uh, you know, that the team as a whole weren't defending well. And, uh, and they seem to have rectified that, of course, as, uh, Fernando, he make, as Fernando Santos says, he makes no secret of the fact that he believes uh, a rock-solid defence is absolutely crucial to success in international football. And, uh, you know, who can argue with his record at, at Greece completely really overperforming, given the players his, uh, you know, at his disposal. And then at Portugal, you know, he's just got this absolutely incredible record in competitive games, just lost one in 29, uh, if you don't include the, the penalty shootout loss against Chile, and of course brought Portugal their first trophy. So, yeah, it's all looking, you know, it's looking much more solid. I'd say the only thing about the Tunisia game, which may have uh, maybe given us one or two clues for the, for the future, I thought Ricardo Pereira uh, had a very promising game. They looked really good going forward combined really well with Bernardo Silva on that right flank. And uh, like I think you mentioned a bit earlier, Matt, we have to take into account that these games aren't all going to be the same. They're going to be very different games, of course, against Spain and against uh, Iran and Morocco. So Ricardo Pereira, probably a more uh, attacking alternative than Cedric. So if Portugal really need the win uh, when it comes to those second and third games, uh, he may actually get a start. Yeah, I think he's going to have a part to play for sure. I think what I took out of this Tunisia game is that Joao Mario is excellent. You know, he's had a few dramas like some of these other players. He moved to Inter and then over to West Ham. But, you know, with limited playing time this season, he, he just, he's just brilliant. His, his link-up play with Bernardo Silva is a highlight. He, the way he roams around the front line there and pops up all over the place is, is just sensational. But, you know, was there any concerns for you here throwing away the 2-0 lead against Tunisia? I mean, yeah, obviously that's a concern, throwing away a two-goal lead against, well, with no disrespect to Tunisia, like, we should be defeating a team like that with relative ease, even in Ronaldo's absence. Um, but I, I don't really ever look into the results of friendlies an awful lot. I mean, given that this wasn't our starting eleven, there was probably four or five starters missing from the eleven that will field against Spain. Um, I think it was just, like, friendlies are experiments to an extent. Obviously, the last friendly against Algeria was probably the closest eleven that we'll have to the 11 that Santos fulfilled against Spain. But, um, I mean, I, I, I was pleased. Like I like Joao Mario, like you said, in the middle. I think he struggles when he plays in like the flat 4-4-2 on the left a lot more. Um, but centrally, he was incredible, just just as Bruno Fernandes was kind of centrally, but to the left against Algeria. But, I mean, yeah, we lacked, we lacked cohesiveness defensively, definitely. But I don't think that will be a concern when it comes to the World Cup. I think Santos will, will have eradicated that entirely as we've seen in the last few friendlies we've had two clean sheets the nil-nil draw against belgium in brussels was it was quite a 
quite a good performance, especially from uh, Jose Font, who came in next to Pepe there. And then the last result, Tom, 3-0 against Algeria, which we briefly mentioned with Gonzalo Guedes coming up with a couple of goals and Bruno Fernandes really standing out. I was at the game and you know, a really good atmosphere. Uh, over 50,000 turned up to, to give Portugal a send-up. Probably would have been more if it wasn't for the atrocious weather in this uh, very untypical Portuguese summer, <laughs> raining the whole uh, the whole night long. But yeah, Portugal just played really well and some some really quite stunning performances. I'd say that the two we mentioned there, you know, the two goal scorers, uh, Bruno Fernandes and uh, and Gonzalo Guedes, really giving Fernandes Santos uh, some selection headaches. But uh, as uh, the old saying goes, that's the the kind of problems which uh, trainers, which coaches uh, absolutely love. You know, an abundance of options rather than a lack of them. Let's move on to these World Cup opponents now. Portugal have been drawn in Group B in Russia, which includes our old enemy, Spain. Uh, Morocco, who have done quite well, and Iran, managed by Carlos Cuerdoj. Let's uh, begin with Spain, Marino, and not much needs to be said here. The two-time European champions in 2008 and 12, and obviously 2010 World Cup winners, uh, seem to be on their way back after the Vicente del Bosque era with a well-known manager to many Portuguese, uh, Julian Lopetegui, taking over, and they're undefeated under him. Give us your thoughts on Spain. Yeah, I mean, personally, like, people have been asking me who I think is going to win the World Cup, and I've, I've said Spain quite literally every time, which is quite a popular opinion. Um, but I just think that their squad is phenomenal. Like, they have such an embarrassment of riches in every single position. A lot of them play together at club level. A lot of them play in the same league, so they're all very familiar with the style of football. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we could potentially cause an upset. I think it depends on the personnel that we field in the game. Um, personally, I think our best option is to field Gonçalo Gedge and Ronaldo up top because we need to stretch their back line. And his pace, obviously, his pace is electric. He's phenomenal when he's running in behind. Um, and I think that alone, even without his technical ability, will cause them a lot of problems and will create a lot of openings for Portugal. Um, likewise, with Bruno Fernandes, his passing, especially when going forward, is exceptional. And I think he too could unlock Spanish defence really well with balls over the top, in behind, whatever, in for Gonçalo Guedes or Ronaldo using their pace. I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic. I'm also very superstitious, so I don't like to predict such things. I, I, I do think we have the quality to cause an upset, definitely. And I don't even know why it should be called an upset, because we should be regarded as one of the top nations in the world. So it, it, it's kind of evenly poised right now, in my opinion. But yeah, we'll see. OK, Tom, what were your thoughts when you saw uh, Portugal drawn against Spain in the opening match? Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> I think... Uh... I think I just echo everything Marina said there. You know, I'm I'm also in the same boat as Mourinho as thinking that uh, Spain are probably favourites to win the World Cup. Uh, you know, at this point, they just they've just got so much quality, haven't they? And like you, like Mourinho, like you said, Matt, they seem to kind of have got their swagger back after you know they just dominated football so much, didn't they, for six eight years? Then had a little, uh, you know, then they they had a little lull. Things seem to be coming off the. Uh, coming off the rails a little bit, but they seem to be back. You know, their qualifying campaign was pretty much in, impeccable. Uh, saw off Italy pretty easily, even in some of the friendlies, you know, beating Argentina 6-1. And, uh, you know, that uh, Lopetegui just seems to be uh, perfect for them. Like you said, he hasn't, I was reading the other day, he's never lost a game 
either as Spain coach or a Spain under-21 coach. <laughs> he just seems uh, absolutely perfect for international management because it didn't impress me too much as a Porto coach, I have to say. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, it's going to be really, really tough. I think one good thing, maybe, in Portugal's favour, uh, I can understand Mourinho there getting a bit miffed about uh, Portugal generally aren't considered one of the na- one of the favourites. And I think, in general, I'm sure this is a bit of a bee in the bonnet of everybody who likes Portugal and all Portuguese people in general, we do tend to be systematically underrated. But I think in this instance, it's actually a good thing. You know, if uh, if most people, I think, would have would put that first game down to, yeah, Spain will win that. So, yeah, let all the experts think that. Uh, let the Spanish players think that, hopefully, and the Spanish coach. And then that's normally when Portugal are at their best. And uh, you know, like Mourinho says, they're well capable. If Portugal play at their best... They're well capable of getting at least a draw. Yeah, we've matched up, you know, quite well with them, despite you know going out in the 2012 European Championships and the uh, losing against them in the 2010 World Cup. But this could go so many different ways. I thought they just held on to Del Bosque way too long. You know, he lost it at the 2014 World Cup, and and you know he still hung around two years after that. So um, that dragged them down. But the players in the squad are undeniably. Um, top class and it's going to be a tremendously difficult game and I'm hoping the best for Portugal because that uh, opening game in 2014 against Germany was one of the most uh, traumatic experiences I've ever encountered and I don't (laughs) want to go through it again. The only thing I'd say about that Matt is that uh, can you remember Spain's opening game? Yeah. Uh, Oh against Holland. Everyone knows it's going to be an incredibly tough game and good result will certainly be phenomenal and, and set Portugal on a, on a good path throughout the World Cup. Morocco, uh, Marino, they haven't lost in 17 games. Got some pretty good players. Mehdi Benatia in central defence. Hakim Zayek, exceptional uh, creative midfielder. Um, what are your thoughts on Morocco? Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually personally quite terrified at the prospect of playing Morocco, especially if we lose the opener, because I, I watched them the other day, and I know Tom did as well against Slovakia, and they, they were frighteningly good. And although a lot of their players are unknown, I also read something interesting recently that said that only six of their players, so six out of the 23, were only born in Morocco. The rest of the squad was born in like the Netherlands, the France, so they've all been brought up in some of the best nations in the world to bring up young talent. And they're all technically incredibly gifted. They, they peppered Slovakia's got like, They shouldn't have won 2-1, they should have won like, honestly, 4 or 5-1. They, they were honestly, I was so impressed by them, but also terrified at the same time. At the prospect of playing him. I do think we have a lot better players, like man for man, but I think a lot depends on how we do in the result against Spain. Because um, obviously, if we lose, there's going to be a lot of pressure because if we then lose against Morocco as well, we'll be out of the tournament. So I think a lot depends on that. But also, Portugal are like notorious and well known for being a tournament team. So I do think that the pressure won't get to them too much, but hopefully, it doesn't get to that point where we lose to Spain and our morale's at a at an all-time low, and then the result against Morocco puts us out, basically. But I don't, I don't think that will happen, but I am quite nervous about playing them. Yeah, Tom, this is uh, has the potential to be quite a tricky tie, second up. You look at their record also in their, one thing about Morocco, in their qualifying campaign, I don't think they conceded a single goal. So, uh, you know, Portugal sometimes have, uh, as we all know, have difficulty playing against teams who are very defensively solid and are very... Uh, I don't know if Morocco, certainly not on the evidence of the, the game Marina was just talking about the other day, 
I don't know if they're going to park the bus, but then again, they were playing quite a weak team. But if they do, uh, then they look to have the players capable of doing that very effectively, and that could cause Portugal problems. I'd say the only thing on the uh, on the plus side for Portugal is that, we, of course, we don't know what's going to happen in Morocco's first game. And if you think about it, Morocco against Iran, for both of those nations, that is like almost, I think actually uh, Carlos Queiroz said something like, this is our World Cup final, because that is basically their only chance of getting out of this group is to win that match, you know, and then hope to get a good result against uh, either Portugal or Spain, which, you know, would be quite tough for them. So I think a lot will depend on what happens in that first match. You know, if they win their first match, on the other hand, and Portugal don't, then, of course, it's the way round. The draw might suit them, and that will really make the game even more difficult for Portugal. Yeah, it has the potential to be a tricky game, particularly if they do beat Iran in the opener, which I expect, and certainly an underrated team, Morocco, with some dangerous players. What about Iran, managed by our mate Carlos Cuerdoj? Uh, they got some experienced players there and, and some some uh, some nice flair players. I'm not sure if I want to try and pronounce their name. Reza Guchanejad and Alideza Jahan Bakhsh. How's that? How's my Iranian? But... Um, Look, I'm not, expecting, <laughs> I'm not expecting much. Uh, I should have mentioned Sada Azmoun, Ruben Kazan player, is quite a handy player too. I'm not expecting too much from Iran in this group or against Portugal. Um, what about you, Marina? Um, I've not seen too much of Iran, or do I know too much about their players. But um, I know that they were, I think, the third team to qualify for the World Cup, so behind Russia and Brazil. Um, so that defensively, they're, they're very sound. Like we know a lot about Kalshkiraj and his tactics. So I think they will be they'll be hard to beat. But they're also our last game, so a lot depends on they they already already be out. We might already be through. So it's it's difficult to say. But I don't think they have the quality that Morocco possess. So I don't think there'll be too much of a problem, to be honest. Yeah, I I don't think they're really going to have much to say in in Group B, but. We'll have to wait and see what happens, especially in their first game against Morocco. All right, let's look forward to our lineups then for uh, the Spain game. We already mentioned that kind of looks to be quite set. I mean, Fernando Santos does have the habit of pulling some rabbits out of the hat and uh, he mentioned, Tom, uh, in the press conference that he's, he's got lots of doubts. But is that just a bit of uh, a bit of poker face here from Santos? I think so, yeah. He just doesn't want to give Spain any clues, basically. He wants to keep them guessing. But, yeah, I think uh, I think the side, well, I can, I'll give you the 1 to 11 that I think will uh, face Spain. And then I'll be very surprised if it's very different from this, which is uh, basically uh, very similar to the game against Algeria. I think the... Uh, we'll have uh, so we'll have Cedric and Rafael Guerreiro as pullbacks, Patricio in goal. Centre backs will be uh, Pep and Font. Uh, I think at the base of midfield we'll have Moutinho and William. Uh, the other midfielders I think will be João Mario on the left and Bernardo Silva on the right. And then we'll have Ronaldo and Gates, you know, up front, but also dropping back a lot. I think Gates may even drop back quite a lot to the to the left uh, and you know help out uh, defensively and then you know try and look to attack Spain on the counter or frighten them with his pace as well so that's the 11 I think uh, I think he'll go with there's uh, a couple of couple of uh, plays in there that you know it wouldn't be too surprising if they were if they were swapped perhaps Bruno Fernandes for João Mario uh, because it, he was just so sensational against Algeria 
Andre Silva for Gonzalo Gates because uh, just maybe even looking back at what Andre Silva did in uh, you know in qualifying, but uh, I I doubt that will happen really. So they're the eleven that I'm going for. Yeah, it seems pretty locked in. Marino, is that pretty much how you're going there for the for the Spain game? Pretty much, yeah. That's exactly what I think will happen. But I think the only positions that are up for debate are Juan Mario for Bruno Fernandes or arguably Juan Moutinho for Adrian Silva, purely because of his defensive capabilities. Uh, also, obviously, Andres Silva for Gedge as well. But I, I do think that Gedge has done enough to secure a starting berth. Um, but yeah, I know I know a lot of people aren't a huge fan of Adrian given his um, given the season that he's just had. But I do think against a team like Spain as well that plays very narrowly and focuses on possession, especially from the middle, they create from the middle a lot. A player like Adrian is capable of stifling that, as we saw on the Euros. Um, so as, as long as he's fit, I think he he could potentially start ahead of Moutinho. But Moutinho has been very solid defensively in the friendlies as well. Um, so it's difficult to say, but yeah, other than that, I think it's pretty set in stone with the back four and with Bernard Silva and William and Ronaldo, obviously, too. Hey, Didier is just one of those favourites of Santos. You know, he mentioned how important he is as far as understanding exactly how the system works and fitting in there. And he was really one of the unsung heroes in the late stages in, in France. But we'll have to see which way Santos decides to try and try and get past Spain in the first game. All right, let's move on to some expectations and we'll have a question, another one from Stephen Rapozeda who asks, in Euro 16, Fernando Santos confidently predicted Portugal to fight for the title. That winning mentality seemed to rub off on the players and give us an edge. Do you think the players and coach have similar expectations this time around? Do you feel they have an honest chance to make it to the final? Tom, you want to start off with that? Great question, of course. Fernando Santos famously said... uh, I think it was straight after the third game, wasn't it? Group game, which Portugal drew. Of course, they drew all their group games. He said, I will be back here for the final. I'm going back to Portugal on the 11th of July and I'll be going back to a huge party. And of course, most people thought he was kind of crazy <laughs> when he said that. And that is exactly what happened. He's been a lot, he's been more cautious this time around. You know, he hasn't said that. But uh, one thing I really do like about Fernando Santos is he. Uh, he's just so focused on winning and he uh, and he's focused on transmitting that confidence to the players, I think, and to the Portuguese people in general. You know, he says, look, we've got the best player in the world. We've got uh, a squad which uh, really can match up against uh, almost any other squad in the world. So we're going to go into every match believing we can win it. You know, and you've got a feeling he really does transmit that, that, that uh, expectation and that confidence uh, and that positive energy to his players. Uh, having said all that, the way a lot of the seasons have gone individually for a lot of these players, and also the centre-back problems, which have been a little bit allayed in these last two friendlies, they looked a lot stronger, but that did make one or two people kind of check and their, their expectations and think, oh, OK, maybe we're not quite so strong as we were two years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, the last couple of friendlies, have, again, it's amazing how this how it swings and roundabouts and how people's opinions change uh, so quickly, I think has really raised expectations again. Quarterfinals would be kind of par for the course. Anything above that, I'd say, would be an excellent uh, tournament for Portugal. Anything less than that would be a bit of a disappointment. If Portugal qualify from the group, finishing first or second will obviously have, a, have an impact there, uh, depending on which side of the draw they go on. If they finish 
uh, if they finish runners-up, they're, they're likely to face Uruguay in the round of 16 and then France in the quarterfinals. And then, you know, maybe Brazil in the semis, which is, is a, quite a difficult route to the final. But yeah, I'd have to agree. I think quarterfinals would be minimum expectation and, and anything above that would be uh, quite good. But as far as the players go and the coach, I mean, they would have to be expecting to win the tournament, no doubt. I mean, they're, they're the European champions. You've got Ronaldo on your team. As we mentioned, quality all throughout the squad. Uh, you know, backup players are, are solid. So I've got no doubt that the players in, in, in the camp will be will be confident, uh, saying, why not? Why can't we win, you know? So that, that's the way I think they would approach it. Uh, Marino, what's your expectations and how do you think the, the mood in the camp is? I think the mood, like you said, is, is going to be confident and for good reason. The European champions have arguably one of the best squads we've ever had. Um, and we're good in tournaments. So we have a lot of experience. Um, as long as we get out of the groups, you take it game by game, and anything can happen. You never know. We we don't have the most talented squad in the world, but we do have talent coupled with experience, which I think is the recipe for what could potentially be something amazing. But you never know. Um, as for how far we'll get, I mean, <laughs> as I said before, I don't like to be overly superstitious, and I do get very superstitious about these things. Um, but I, th- I think, like you guys said, yeah, getting to the quarters should be the expectation at the very least. If if we win the group, I think we come up against Argentina, is it? If they if, if they win their group, I think. Uh, uh, if, if, if Portugal win the group, you'd be looking at maybe Egypt, whoever finishes runner-up in Group A, yeah, and then, then the maybe Argentina and yeah. Germany. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think on our day we could we can give anyone a game comfortably, and should we defend? How we've seen Portugal defend in the past two years since Santos has taken over, then, then why not? You know, you, you just never know. As long as we get out of the group, I think we can, we can. Why not go all the way? I mean, exactly. <laughs> but why not? If you take it game by game. We have a solid defense, and as long as that defense stays solid, we have enough attacking prowess to cause anyone problems. So. Exactly. I mean, you know, Tom, you and I talked on the eve of the 2016 final, and. No one gave Portugal a chance, you know, but, you know, we, we, we mentioned at the time, why not? Anything can happen. And uh, France were a little bit off their game um, and, and we managed to get, get it done despite uh, Ronaldo's injury. So, no, you've got to stay positive. That's what it's all about in sport, isn't it? Especially in, in the World Cup. All right, let's finish with a question from Miguel Mateus. That's a fantastic Portuguese name. Um, and he asks... Um, from the 13th chapter, there's a great difference in Portugal's performance depending on the geographics. Now, with Russia such a such a massive country with one foot in Europe and one foot in Asia, he asked, is Russia Europe or Asia, Tom? I wasn't actually too sure myself uh, in, as far as the venues goes, if any of them would be uh, in Asia. So I threw it out there to a friend of the pod, uh, John Bradley. I'd uh, recommend people uh, following him on Twitter. Russian expert, uh, football commentator for UEFA and other people, and a Russian expert, and he said that, uh, yeah, they made an effort when it was organised and to do, and because of their bid, I suppose, to increase their chances of winning, they did make an effort to not have the venues too spread out. So they all are actually in the European sector of Russia. Uh, the one furthest to the east is in the city of Ekaterinburg. I hope I pronounced that correctly which uh, he said is in a, this city is known as the gateway of Asia. So that's kind of just on the border between Europe and, and Asia. So, yeah, it's in Europe. And uh, so Portugal, uh, you know, they should be confident because uh, 
just to test uh, a couple of your your knowledge at the moment, uh, Mourinho and Matthew. So Portugal have played only two World Cups previously in Europe. Uh, how did they do? Well, uh, semis in 2006. And, oh, England. Yeah, 66. semis in both. Semis yeah. in both. Yeah. Exactly. Two yeah. tournaments, two World Cups in Europe, both times reached the semi-finals. So, that's a good omen. We'll take anything we can get. Uh, I, don't know if you, I, don't, I don't know if you paid Miguel for this question, Tom, but it, it seems like a good chance to plug your book. You want to just tell us about the authors and where people can get uh, it, what it's all about? If you want to know all about the history, the tournament history of Portugal in, your, in World Cups and Euros, uh, there's a book in, written in English called The 13th Chapter, which basically is the journey of Portugal's tournament history from 1966, which was their first, right the way through to 2016. Uh, it's kind of written like a, a journey. Each of the 13 chapters uh, deals with one of the tournaments. And then the final chapter, this is why it's called the 13th chapter, goes into great depth of the tournament when Portugal finally won. And uh, then also has a kind of step back and looks at the whole journey and, uh, you know, common themes throughout the whole history of the Telesau. It's written by myself and Nathan Motts and Simon Curtis, also a very excellent uh, football journalist based here in Lisbon. So, yeah, if you want to check out that book, uh, it's available on Amazon and uh, just go to my Twitter feed and uh, you can find it there. And if uh, Portugal win the World Cup, Tom will personally deliver it with a bifania. Is that a <laughs> special offer? Yeah, OK. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Why not? All right. Well, it's been fantastic talking about the Salasau as we get ready for the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Certainly a lot to look forward to, despite initially having a, a little bit of hesitation with the matchup against Spain in the first round. But we keep our fingers crossed. We stay positive and uh, we look forward to a fantastic tournament. This pod was obviously a little bit longer because it's a fair bit to cover before the tournament. But we'll be back after the Spain game and throughout the tournament to, to go through all of the results and, and look ahead to, to the upcoming matches. I've been Matthew Marshall. It's been fantastic hosting the Portugal podcast with Tom Cundit. Tom, thank you very much, and enjoy the first game against España. Great. Thanks, Matt. Hopefully we'll be doing another seven of these. Yes, it's definitely, it's funny how the, uh, you know, the schedule is determined by the results, but it worked all right in France, so, you know, why not? And uh, Marino, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. No worries. Okay, enjoy the football, be good to each other, and we'll catch you next time.